Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Victoria Wickham, and this is a daily download. Today, HW Plus Managing Editor Brenna Nath sits down with Housing Wire Mortgage Editor James Kleiman to discuss the most compelling articles reported from the Housing Wire newsroom. In this episode, the pair discuss what President-elect Joe Biden's election win could mean for the mortgage industry, as well as Rocket Mortgage's upcoming Q3 earnings call, digging into why this report is so important to the industry. But before you listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Extraordinary challenges demand extraordinary solutions. CoreLogic is uniquely positioned to help you navigate this historic disruption. Whether it's virtual home showings, flexible employment verifications, or automated loan modification engines, CoreLogic delivers the data-driven solutions, targeted insights, and deep domain expertise trusted by the nation's most successful mortgage lenders. Explore how CoreLogic can help you today. Visit corelogic.com forward slash COVID-19. Welcome to the Daily Download. I'm Brenda Nath, HW Plus Managing Editor here at Housing Wire. I'm excited to have our second installment of the Monday Morning Cup of Coffee, which many of you guys might remember from the past. Today we have with us James Kleiman. He's our mortgage editor and wanted to pick your brain today, James, on kind of what some of the big stories from last week was, which I think is an understatement. We all know last week was a crazy, busy election week. And also get a little bit of insight into what we can expect coming this week. So Kicking off first, saying thanks for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me, as always. Yeah. And for that first question, in all of the news that kind of came last week, what do you think were some of the top stories that stood out? There was you? only one story that happened in my mind last week. Um, and also, it, it happened to be one of the most well-read pieces, which is the, the story I did with Tim Glaze uh, about what a Biden administration would mean for housing. You know, there, there are a lot of national publications and talking heads on cable news, and they talk about the presidency there are very few outlets that look at it from the housing angle. And so what we really wanted to do was to talk to some experts in housing and the mortgage industry as well, and, and really try to get a sense of what Biden would prioritize and what would actually be achievable during his term. And that really depends primarily on what happens with the Senate. And so, you know, of course, last week we got a lot of clarity on, on how the electoral votes were shaping up, but we didn't know until wow, Saturday, actually, it's Saturday, um, that it would, in fact, absolutely be Biden. But but at that point, you know, we, we sort of operated on the premise that, look, we're probably going to have Joe Biden at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and very likely we're going to have a Republican-controlled Senate, you know, unless they're able to flip Georgia, which could happen, but but I, I don't think that people expect it to happen. And, um, and, and so what we really wanted to ask people was, what is going to happen in the first year or two of a Biden presidency? And for the most part, that they said they expect a much more active CFPB, just in terms of enforcement. And another key point is Biden in particular has talked a lot about using the strength of the federal government to push forward affordable housing initiatives. And in some cases, he might use Fannie and Freddie to strengthen affordable housing. In others, it could be public-private partnerships, um, kind of like what NYCHA is doing with private ownership in New York City. 
And so, you know, that that's that's kind of a maybe not a best case scenario, but but I think a Biden administration would be pretty happy if you were able to get those two things through and then mortgage industry continues to be issuing very strong um, underwriting standards and that you don't see the the problems that he faced, um, you know, a little over a decade ago when he was the vice president. Um, but having said all that, it, it very likely will be a Republican controlled Senate. And for the mortgage industry, that could be a really good thing. Um, you know, a lot of industries, they, they like regulation. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. Um, and, and mortgage, of course, is, is like the other is they do not want to be more heavily regulated than they already are. And uh, so I, I think a lot of lenders would be very yeah. pleased if if you had, you know, Biden in, in the White House, Republicans controlling the Capitol and just very limited, huge regulatory um, initiatives announced. You know, they'd probably just operate through the CFPB at that point. So that that was the major story. Um, and, and I think we're going to be continuing to cover that. You know, we still don't know who would be in the cabinet. We don't know who is head of of housing and urban development would be, you know, we don't know who is his pick for the CFPB would be, um, you know, treasury, of course, that's massive. We don't know that yet. So there's still a lot yet to be determined. Um, but I, I think very, very likely that it will be a more regulatory focused um, administration than, than certainly the Trump White House, which was um, pretty, pretty hands off. Those last two points that you just made about the U.S. Treasury um, and who those housing officials will come on board has been a lot of the discussions we've been having here on TDD as long as in the newsroom. So definitely want to highlight those two, as well as GSE reform. I think it's always been something that has been the boy who cried wolf. So it'll be interesting to see the seriousness that goes along with it as we about to change. And it's a topic that a lot of people have been obviously musing about, chatting about as we go into this next administration. So I know we have a couple articles on the site as well that dig into the future of GSE reform, no longer um, the boy who cried wolf. It, it's an amazing story. And, and I think we're only finally just getting to the good part. You know, it's kind of like for both, for both political parties, this is kind of like the moment, right? So you have the Republicans that have been moving closer toward leaving conservatorship, and and now that they know that they're going to be, um, you know, evicted from the White House effectively, um, you know, the, the clock is ticking, right? And so they they want to get as many of these reforms, you know, Calabria, sorry, Mark Calabria, and um, Steve mentioned the, the Treasury Secretary have have made no secret that they want to get um, these two companies back into you know the private markets, and that's not something that the Democrats want to happen. So let's say that the Republicans decide, you know, we're, we're going to issue some, um, you know, some, some policies to try to make this happen. The Democrats could very easily roll them back, you know, in the first month or two. Um, but that, that could cause some, some real, um, some, some difficult decisions for lenders if they don't know what Fannie and Freddie are doing, you know, in the first few months or, or the next six months. So uh, it's, it's definitely one of the biggest stories we're going to be tracking over the next, we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I, a uh, quick look back to, I remember four years ago when Trump won the presidency and at that time, the I think it was the M mortgage insurance premiums that rolled back and how many quick things housing was at the forefront of the conversation, mm -hmm. right at the election turnover and made national headlines, which housing rarely ever does. Right. Um, and so curious to see just as we move into January, 
looking back four years ago, how much we made the headlines, what kind of is coming now. Um, switching gears just a little bit outside of the election, or maybe that is another big topic, but what is something that you, one piece of article or news that you think people need to be paying attention to right now that they might not be paying attention to? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I would say that this is probably going to happen this week. And, and I think a lot of companies are going to be paying very close attention to what Rocket does. Um, their, their earnings call is coming tomorrow, 4.30 Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday. Um, and, you know, they were projecting record volume, record originations, um, probably a little bit lower in the gain on sale margin this quarter. Um, but I mean, th- this could be the biggest quarter for Rocket ever. And um, what's, what's also it's it's just a funny time because you had you had all these these uh, <laughs> these like minor events in the stock market. You know, it was up six hundred, it was down eight hundred. It was it's all over the place, and it spooked a lot of the other independent mortgage banks that were were looking to go public. And so, you know, guilds they they got run over by a car on on day one. You know, they were really they priced it at like it's like seventeen dollars or something like that, and they got like. 14 and change or just a, just about 15 and it was a really poor showing and and rocket you know they they had kind of a, a difficult debut as well they didn't they didn't achieve the pricing um, they didn't sell as much stock because they initially had planned on day one and and their stock didn't do so great and then you know they really rebounded and they were trading at something like 31 and change you know about a month wow. or two ago and then they dropped back down again and so they're climbing a little bit. Um, and this is like the best time to ever have a mortgage company right now. And so, you know, if, if Rocket, if, if investors don't believe that Rocket is, you know, even trading, you know, above what they were when, you know, when the gains had never been fatter, uh, when the honey never sweeter, um, you know, what, what does that mean for kind of the larger industry of, of the non-banks that have you know, really grown a control of that two thirds of this industry. So um, I'm going to be looking a lot at Rocket's earnings. I'm particularly interested to see how they do on the purchase side. You know, for a lot of investors, um, they, they look at, at these phenomenal gains and, and record originations and, and all this money and technology or, or all this talk about technology, at least. Um, and they say, OK, OK, you know, times are good now, but you're just refining like everybody, you know, it's it's purchase is a lot more stable. It's a lot more predictable. The money is better. You know, you have a better margin on, on purchase and, you know, rocket, despite all their strength and direct to consumer, like they traditionally have not been uh, probably where they want to be with purchase. Let's not forget what I find most fascinating about Rocket Mortgages earning. One, I think you mentioned earlier this morning that you started, uh, right when you started, you were able to cover their earnings, but they also used to be pretty hush-hush about their earnings. And I find being able now to go through their full filing and see all the nitty-gritty details of it is unique. That's something that hasn't, an insight the industry hasn't had in a really long time. So I know you have coverage coming out this week on that. And not only is it just helpful and insightful, but it's something that we haven't had access to before. Yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing. You have all these IMBs that are now going public. And so you can see what's under the hood. You see who does better in purchase. You see who does better in refi. You see what the gain on sale margins are. You know, you see, sorry, my, my dog is growling. There's a, there's an intruder. Uh, 
um, so she's growling from the couch. She's passionate about IPOs. Um, and so the, um, you know, the, the fact that we now can see exactly what Rocket does, we know how much they spend on marketing. We know what they're paying, you know, in, in, in technology. We know really a lot more about what they do. And just the transparency, I think, has been really incredible. You know, we, we now know that um, the chief executive at Caliber Homeloans made $20 million, you know, like a year ago. Like that's, that's incredible. And that's the kind of information that we previously would have never had access to. And so um, just the ability to, to have so much at our fingertips is I, I think really a good service to the reader. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy about it, even if they're not, because Rocket does not want to, you know, they, they, I'm sure that this is not their preference. They don't want people knowing so much culturally. They're not, they're not like that. So. So we've touched on election last week. We've touched on IPOs, Quicken Loans. What else can we look forward to or can our listeners look forward to coming out from the newsroom this week that they should be paying attention to? Uh, one, one thing that I'm going to be working on, I hope it's going to be for this week. I, I know you'll, you'll be disappointed if it doesn't, is, um, you know, I've been chatting with a lot of executives uh, at big lenders, medium-sized lenders, a lot of loan originators, just a lot of people in general in the industry and, and one thing that I'm, I'm really um, curious about is, is this idea of sort of a sustainable workforce and that you have these big waves of hirings when, you know, there's a lot of uh, money to be made. And then when there's less money to be made, you have a lot of firings. And so you have a very, you have like a very topsy-turvy workforce in which, you know, people come in, they work for a year or two years, maybe like, let's say you're an underwriter, right? You Today, you're, you're making like $150,000 a year. And these are people who a decade ago, you know, people thought like the algorithms are going to wipe out. Like there will not be an underwriter that exists in the year 2020, you know. So um, I really wanted to work on a story that sort of understands um, kind of how these companies structure their operations, you know, from, you know, every company is only as good as its people, right? And and that's true of a technology company or a traditional mortgage company or a title insurance company. Um, and at a lot of these firms, you know, People tell me that they have like a chunk in the middle that's missing. Like they're able to hire a ton of people for $40,000 in Detroit or wherever, Cleveland, like, you know, California, Gilbert, Arizona, wherever. Um, and that's all fine and well, and you can train them in three to six months or whatnot. They can probably do a pretty good job. Um, but what about the people who have been there for like six years? You know, not as many, not as many you can depend on, not as many you can rely on. And so you have this big disparity where the average loan officer is in their like 50s. And most of the support staff is like pretty green. And so it just organizationally, you know, you want to have a company that has kind of a reliable chain. Um, and that if somebody does leave, which is happening pretty often nowadays, you have a lot of people who can say, yeah, this is my time. This is my opportunity. Um, I'm so glad Brian left, you know, now, now James is, is able to make some noise and, and really, um, you know, demonstrate that they're up to the, the challenge. Um, and, and so particularly when you have all these capacity issues, I, I think that those, those problems are magnified. And so, as I said, maybe, maybe this won't be for Friday this week, Brenna, but, um, but that is a story that I'm really going to be trying to nail down because I, I think it's very fundamental to, to a lot of kind of the stated reason that these mortgage companies say that they're are exceptional or worthy of, of these, you know, big investor valuations because it's in service of the customer. 
And it can't be if you're not able to build a reliable, strong organization. So um, that's that's really the story that I think people should be thinking a lot more about. Um, and hopefully they think more about it and email me. I would like them to email me, Brenna. I agree. I agree. It's jkleiman at helsingwire.com. That's right. Um, and on that point, that's a topic I know this industry has been battling with quite a bit, the battle for talent. In conversations I've had lately, I've found it fascinating that a lot of people have bringing up as kind of a flex that they are able to not poach from other people, but instead hire on their own. And there's this new wave of people saying this industry is known to be poaching or taking talent from other players, but instead they're saying, we're not, we're not taking from other players. We're actually able to hire and grow. And we have this training program. And it's been notable to me on these different conversations, how people are emphasizing that ability to be able to hire, not from their competition, but instead saying, look at what we can do. We're actually able to hire and hopefully bringing in this new wave of talent. But then to your point, also, there needs to be this long chain of command between these new green talent and the average age of the normal person in the industry. But with that, I wanted to say thank you, James, for joining us on the Daily Download. I know we covered a lot from the elections, hiring, IPOs, Quicken Loans. There's a lot to stay tuned to in the newsroom this week. So thanks again for your time. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Daily Download. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and join us again tomorrow.